Hello, I'm Cheryl, and this is Sleep Tight Relax, a calming bedtime podcast for the young and young at heart. Our sleep story is the next chapter of Peter Pan. Wendy is telling the boys a story. The story is about her parents, and this makes John and Michael want to go home. Peter doesn't want them to go and look for their mother, but he makes the plans and tells Tinkerbell to take them. As they are getting ready to go, something happens. Before we continue with our story, let's take a moment to relax. We can practice our deep breathing anytime or anywhere. But before bed, let's first turn down the lights, get comfortable, and make sure that everything feels as it should. Now close your eyes if you would like, and we'll begin with a few slow, deep belly breaths. Each time you breathe in, breathe all the way down into your belly. When you breathe in, be sure to slowly breathe through your nose. And when you breathe out, try to push all the air out of your lungs. Breathe in. And breathe out. Notice how you feel when you take these deep breaths. How you get more and more relaxed with each breath. How the weight of your body sinks into the bed. Breathe in. And breathe out. Throughout this time of relaxation and our story, thoughts of the day or the day to come may enter your mind. That's okay and normal. When they come, just try to return your attention to your breathing to the story and music. Breathe in and breathe out. Perfect. Let's continue with Chapter 9 of Peter Pan. Listen then, said Wendy, settling down to her story with Michael at her feet and seven boys in the bed. There was once a gentleman. I'd had rather he'd been a lady, Curly said. I wish he had been a white rat, said Nibs. Quiet, 
their mother told him. There was a lady also and, oh, mommy, cried the first twin. You mean that there is a lady also, don't you? Oh, dear, sighed Wendy. Little less noise there, Peter called out, determined that Wendy should have fair play, however horrible a story it might be, in his opinion. The gentleman's name, Wendy continued, was Mr. Darling, and her name was Mrs. Darling. I knew them, John said, to annoy the others. I think I knew them, said Michael, rather doubtfully. They were married, you know, explained Wendy. And what do you think they had? White rats? cried Nibs, inspired. No. It's awfully puzzling, said Toodles, who knew the story by heart. Quiet Toodles. They had three descendants. What is descendants? Well, you are one twin. Did you hear that, John? I am a descendant. Descendants are only children, said John. Oh dear, oh dear, sighed Wendy. Now, these three children had a faithful nurse called Nana, but Mr. Darling was angry with her this evening and put her in the yard, and so all the children flew away. It's an awfully good story, said Nibs. They flew away, Wendy continued, to Neverland, where the lost children are. I just thought they did. Curly broke in excitedly. I don't know how it is, but I just thought they did. Oh, Wendy, cried Toodles, was one of the lost children called Toodles? Yes, he was. I am in a story. Hooray! I am in a story, Nibs. Shh! Now, I want you to consider the feelings of the unhappy parents with all their children having flown away. Oh, they all moaned, though they were not really considering the feelings of the unhappy parents one jot. Think of the empty beds. Oh, it's awfully sad, the first twin said cheerfully. I don't see how it could have a happy ending, said the second twin. Do you, Nibs? I'm frightfully anxious. Wendy continued on with the story amidst the boys interrupting until she reached the end. That was the story, and they were pleased with it as the fair narrator herself. Everything just as it should be, you see. Wendy, let's go home, cried Michael and John together. Yes, she said, clutching them. Not tonight! asked the lost boys, bewildered. They knew, in what they called their hearts, that one can get on quite well without a mother, and that it is only the mothers who think you can't. At once, Wendy replied resolutely, for the horrible thought had come to her mind. Perhaps mother is still in tears. This made her forgetful of what must be Peter's feelings, 
and she said to him rather sharply, Peter, will you make the necessary arrangements? If you wish it, he replied as coolly as if she had asked him to pass the nuts. Wendy, he said, striding up and down, I have asked the boys to guide you through the woods as flying tires you so. Thank you, Peter. Then, he continued in a short, sharp voice of one accustomed to being obeyed, Tinkerbell will take you across the sea. Wake her up, Nibs. Nibs had to knock twice before he got an answer, though Tink had really been sitting up in bed listening for some time. Who are you? How dare you? Go away, she cried. You are to get up, Tinks, Nibs called, and take Wendy on a journey. Tinkerbell was not very happy about going on a journey, but getting rid of Wendy was worth it to her. And now, Peter, Wendy said, thinking she had put everything right, I am going to give you your medicine before you go. She loved to give the boys medicine and undoubtedly gave them too much. Of course, it was only water, but she always shook it and counted the drops, which gave it a certain medicinal quality. On this occasion, however, she did not give Peter his dose, for just as she had prepared it, she saw a look on his face that made her heart sink. Get your things, Peter, she cried, shaking. No, he answered, pretending indifference. I am not going with you, Wendy. Yes, Peter. No. Tink had gotten ready to go and had darted up the nearest tree. But no one followed her, for it was at this moment that the pirates made their dreadful attack. The pirate attack had been a complete surprise, and after this surprise attack, Tiger Lily and her men were defeated by the pirates. But the pirates' work was not over. It was Pan Hook wanted. Pan and Wendy and their band. But chiefly, Pan. The truth is that there was something about Peter which drove the pirate captain crazy. It was not his courage. It was not his engaging appearance. It was not... There is no beating about the bush, for we all know quite well what it was and have got to tell you. It was Peter's arrogance. This had gotten on Hook's nerves. It made his iron claw twitch, and at night it bothered him like a mosquito buzzing around. While Peter was there, Hook felt that he was a lion in a cage into which a sparrow had come. The question that now faced them was how to get down the trees, or how to get his men down. He ran his eyes over them, searching for the thinnest ones. They wriggled uncomfortably, for they knew he would not hesitate to force them down. 
But in the meantime, what of the children down in the trees? The pandemonium above had ceased almost as suddenly as it started, passed like a fierce gust of wind. But they know that in the passing, it had determined their fate. But which side had won? The pirates listened avidly at the mouths of the trees, heard the question put by every boy, and alas, they also heard Peter's answer. If Tiger Lily has won, he said, she will beat the drums. It is always their sign of victory. Now Smee had found the drum and was at that moment sitting on it. You will never hear the drum again, he muttered, but quietly, of course, for strict silence had to be kept. To his amazement, Hook signed to him to beat the drum, and slowly there came to Smee an understanding of the order. Never probably had this simple man admired Hook so much. Twice, Smee beat upon the instrument and then stopped to listen gleefully. The drum, the pirates heard Peter cry, a victory for us. The children answered with a cheer that was music to the pirates above, and almost immediately they repeated their goodbyes to Peter. This puzzled the pirates, but all their other feelings were swallowed by the delight that the enemy was about to come up the trees. They smirked at each other and rubbed their hands. Rapidly and silently, Hook gave his orders, one man to each tree and the others to arrange themselves in a line, two yards apart. The first to emerge from his tree was Curly. He rose out of it into the arms of Seiko, who flung him to Smee, who flung him to Starkey, who flung him to Bill, who flung him to Noodler. And so he was tossed from one to another till he fell at the feet of Hook. All the boys were plucked from their trees in this same manner and several of them were in the air at the time, like bales of goods flung from hand to hand. A different treatment was given to Wendy, who came last. With strange politeness, Hook raised his hat to her and offering her his arm, escorted her to the spot where the others were being tied up and gagged. He did it with such an air that she was too fascinated to cry out. They were tied to prevent their flying away, doubled up with their knees close to their ears. And for the trussing of them, Hook had cut a rope into nine equal pieces. All went well until Slightly's turn came 
when he was found to be like those irritating parcels that use up all the string in going round and leave no tags with which to tie a knot. Poor Slightly, most wretched of all the children now, for he was in a panic about Peter, bitterly regretting what he had done. Madly addicted to the drinking of water when he was hot, he had swelled in consequence to his present size, and instead of reducing himself to fit his tree, he had, unknown to the others, whittled his tree to make it fit him. Hook signed that the captives were to be taken to the ship and that he would be alone. But how to take them? Hunched up in their ropes, they might indeed be rolled downhill like barrels, but most of the way lay through a swamp. Again, Hook's genius overcame these difficulties. He indicated that the little house must be used as a carriage. The children were flung into it. Four stout pirates raised it on their shoulders. The others fell in behind. And singing the awful pirate chorus, the strange procession set off through the woods. I don't know whether any of the children were crying. If so, the singing drowned out the sound. The first thing Hook did on finding himself alone in the fast-falling night was to tiptoe to Slightly's tree and make sure that it provided him with a passage. There he remained thinking. Intently he listened for any sound from down below, but all was as silent below as above. The house under the ground seemed to be but one more empty home. Was that boy asleep? Or did he stand waiting at the foot of Slightly's tree? There was no way of knowing except by going down. Hook let his cloak slip softly to the ground and then biting his lips, he stepped into the tree. He was a brave man, but for a moment, he had to stop there and wipe his brow, which was dripping like a candle. Then silently, he let himself go into the unknown. He arrived unharmed at the foot of the shaft and stood again, biting at his breath, which had almost left him. As his eyes became used to the dim light, various objects in the home under the trees took shape. But the only one on which his greedy gaze rested, long sought for and found at last, was the great bed. On the bed lay Peter, fast asleep. Unaware of what had been happening above, Peter had continued, for a little time after the children left, to play on his pipes. No doubt, rather a miserable attempt to prove to himself that he did not care. 
Then he decided not to take his medicine so as to make Wendy sad. Then he lay down on the bed outside the blanket to bother Wendy still more, for she had always tucked them inside it, because you never know that you might not grow chilly at the turn of the night. But then he fell asleep. Sometimes, though not often, Peter had dreams, and they were worse than the dreams of other boys. At such time, it had been Wendy's custom to take him out of bed and sit with him, soothing him in dear ways of her own invention. And when he grew calmer, she put him back to bed before he quite woke up. But on this occasion, he had fallen at once into a dreamless sleep. One arm dropped over the edge of the bed, one leg was arched, and the unfinished part of his laugh was stranded on his mouth, which was open, showing the little pearls. Thus defenseless, Hook found him. He stood silent at the foot of the tree, looking across the chamber at his enemy. Did no feeling of compassion disturb his somber chest? The man was not completely bad. He loved flowers, I have been told, and sweet music, and let it be frankly admitted, the idyllic nature of the scene stirred him profoundly. Mastered by his better self, he would have returned reluctantly up the tree, but for one thing. What made him stay was Peter's arrogant appearance as he slept. The open mouth, the drooping arm, the arched knee. They steeled Hook's heart, and he leapt at the sleeper. And that is the end of this chapter. Good night.